0: Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitri Filipovic and joining me is my good buddy, Chris Meany. Chris, what's going on, man?
1: What's going on, Dimitri? Always a pleasure, man, to join you and talk some hockey. We're getting uh, to crunch time in real NHL and fantasy hockey as well. So looking forward to this chat, man. Hopefully we can help some people out.
0: Well, this is going to be really fun. Uh, you're right. It's a, it's a key point in the uh, NHL season. It's also, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're really busy uh, trying to figure out what color the Gatorade will be this Sunday <laughs> with the team uh winning the Super Bowl, pouring it out on the head coach. A, a lot of fun props that I'm sure you're crunching and, and uh it's a busy time for you as well. So I'm happy that we can talk a bit of hockey and help some people out with their with their fantasy leagues hopefully it's a it's a fun way to to end the week for us here. And hopefully we're gonna be able to help identify some players for for people listening to to Target in their fantasy leagues ahead of the trade deadline. We're about a month out now of the NHL one and, and I think that provides us with an interesting opportunity to uh to kind of get ahead of the competition i guess and maybe try to read the tea leaves a little bit and figure out who's going to be on the moves who's going to benefit from that where uh situations are going to improve time's going to open up and so that provides us with a chance to uh to buy and get players ahead of time and and maybe uh avoid paying full freight for them when everyone uh else jumps on board so i'll give you the floor here uh we're just going to go back and forth like we usually do we usually wind up Rattling off a bunch of names, really getting into it and getting into the weeds with with our situations where we're trying to target. So what's the first one on your list and kind of what are you uh, most intrigued by?
1: Well, I'm going to start strong here with arguably the best goal scorer we've ever seen of all time. And maybe the window is closed over the past week or so. But Alex Ovechkin is a player that I wanted to talk to you about because I was taking a look at CBS sports this morning and just seeing the top 10 traded players over the last three or four weeks and was number one on that list I think some people were maybe buying thinking that he was going to be able to turn this thing around in the second half of the season or they seen the recent run and they're saying that's it I'm out this is an opportunity for me to get out this is uh, the furthest I've seen him drop in drafts at the start of the season, you know, sometimes a third round pick end of the third round. He's got goals in three straight games. for The first time in his career, he's got points in 11 of his last or not first career first time in the season. Yes. Um, he's got many points in 11 in his of career. his last 13 games. Many times I actually went back and I was curious, like how many times did he have a, a three game goal streak last year? And it was five times and multiple over three. Uh, but yeah, he's got the 11 goals. He's got the 6.9 shooting Is It's the lowest mark of his career. It's the first time it's ever been below 10, and, you know, if you go back and look, you know, for his career, it's 12.8. But for the most part, this guy's living uh, above 13. Uh, he's got a great fantasy hockey schedule. I took a look at week 22, week 23. It could be the last week of your fantasy hockey regular season. Week 23 could be the quarters. It could be quarters and semis for you. Washington playing four games in each of those those two weeks. Uh, and I also like Dylan Strom. Like those are two guys that I think are, are going to get a lot of volume and a lot of ice time. Washington is is extremely thin down the middle. You know, TJ Oshi, Max Pacioretty could be had in deeper leagues, maybe able to just grab them off the waiver wire, but I'm not sure what your thoughts are on Ovi because uh, again, does he get 25 goals? He'd have to go on a, a heck of a run. He could certainly do that. You, you know, he still has something left to offer, but he could be had right now. And I think he's just a polarizing figure at the moment. Fantasy.
0: Yeah, certainly. I mean, I was just looking at it, he scored only three five on five goals so far. And obviously, I think everyone knows that a lot of his damage is done on the power play, certainly, but it just almost unfathomable that he scored that infrequently. I believe he's shooting like four percent or something at five on five. You're right. I I think with the volume, and I think importantly, you know, it might have obscured it at the start of the year a little bit because they were getting such strong goaltending and they were kind of squeezing out a lot of these close games, even though A lot of the underlying metrics weren't particularly favorable and and the fact that they were all of their wins were kind of close one goal game wins suggested they were due to regress and and they kind of have recently. It obscured the fact that like this is what the Capitals' main agenda is right now, as an organization, right? Like, I'm I'm sure they want to be competitive and playing meaningful games late into the season, but realistically, right now, everything revolves around finding a way to get Alex Ovechkin to break the goal record and to to kind of see this story through, right? And so, I think every opportunity they get, not that they haven't already so far, but is going to be funneling pucks through him and trying to get him those. And we've seen the uptick here a little bit. I I just think based on the law of averages, right? Even if you think that he slowed down a little bit and that he's not going to be what he once was, there's still some sort of a middle ground between that and what he had done through the first 45 or so games this season. So yeah, I'm with you. It, it just seems almost impossible that with how much he's playing and how much he's still shooting that he would finish the year with under 20 to 25 goals. And and I, I think he could even potentially, uh, if a few things break his way, push even 30, depending on, on how the next couple of weeks go. So yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you. I would uh, I would buy uh, the goal scoring ticking up for sure. And people are skeptical. So you probably can still buy, even though the fact that he has had these three kind of productive games.
1: Right, yeah. Uh, I know a lot of people are saying that, you know, he looks slow out there. The ice time isn't the same. I mean, yeah, there's a little bit of a downtick in terms of his ice time per game, but he's still getting an opportunity. And like you said, I mean, maybe those five and five goals start to, you know, come. It's just... Um, you know, at the moment, there's not too many guys out there that you could buy in fantasy hockey that could be, I don't know, just under a goal per game. Like he could certainly do that in the second half, and that could be a difference maker for you. Well,
0: and he's playing, I mean, listen, the perspective's important, right? It's down a little bit. He's playing still 1925 per game and he's right. firing about 23 yeah. shot attempts per, per hour yeah. played, right? So the, 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 it's yeah. down from his standards, but if you just replace, like took away the the historical track record and the name. And you just gave a blind resume of those numbers for pretty much any other forward in the league, you'd be like, "Yeah, this guy's probably going to score yeah. a lot of goals." So um, I think uh, that that's kind of important to keep in mind. You know, it's interesting you brought up the Capitals and Ovechkin because I want to talk about a power play that we actually saw play them last night in in the Florida Panthers on Thursday night. And the reason why I wanted to highlight it is because this Panthers team that I'm really high on this season, one of their sort of relative weaknesses has been. Power play efficiency, right? This year, they're 11th in the league in, in power play goals per hour, which is good, but not necessarily elite. Last year, they were 14th and they were one of the few teams still using uh, three forwards, two defensemen on their sets for much of last year. Now, since getting healthy over the past couple of weeks and really putting it together, this current five-man unit that they're trotting out of, Matthew Kachuk, Alexander Barkov, Sam Reinhart, Carter Verhege, and Brandon Montour has been absolutely on fire. They've played 55 power play minutes so far this season together and that's all come recently they scored 13 goals in that time and if you look on a per minute basis whether it's generating goals, shots or high danger chances all of their rates with those guys out on the ice in man, event, man advantage situations uh grades out as the best of any power play in the league so it's scary that they're now optimizing whatever relative weakness they still had remaining and you know With Kachuk's recent hot streak, uh, I think the window to buy him certainly closed. Obviously, with Reinhardt's goal scoring, you're not necessarily buying him. But I think with a guy like Carter Berhege, for example, you probably still could buy a little bit low on him, even though he has 25 goals or so. And um, I just want to get in on that group because I think this has kind of unlocked a whole new ceiling for them that they might not have otherwise previously had as a group.
1: I couldn't agree more, Dimitri. I I absolutely love this squad, and I could see them going right back to the Stanley Cup Finals. It's it's one of the favorite, you know, at one point two months ago before they started to go on a run, at the same time Matthew Kachuk started to get hot. Uh, There was a really good opportunity to buy on them, like 18 to one to win the cup. I still like, uh, you know, them at 12 to one. I still like them to potentially chase down Boston and win the Atlantic, potentially get the number one seed in the East. All those things. You got to remember that the start of the season, they were without, you know, Brennan Montour. Uh, They were without Sam Bennett for a little bit. And and also Kachuk wasn't I don't know. He he may say he was healthy, but who did not play? I mean, he played fantastic throughout the playoffs, but he battled through some injuries and he had some offseason stuff to to deal with before the beginning of this season. I have Sam Bennett and Brendan Montour written down. I think Haggy if you can get Verhagie, absolutely any of those guys, if you could buy them, I'm I'm all in. As for Bennett, he doesn't get time on that top power play, but he is been pl- he has been playing five and five, you know, with Verhagie and with Kachuk at times. We've seen Paul Maurice put Cousins on that line and maybe put haggy up there, but at this, for the most part, Bennett is getting you know top six, a top six role on an explosive team. He's got 23 points in 39 games, so 13 in his last 16, and Montour only has 11 in, in 35 games. But the minutes are there, the ice time, the shot attempts are still there. He's still doing a couple other different things like throwing his body around, blocking shots can help you in in, in some of those leagues as well. So I, I couldn't agree more on the Panthers. It, it, I, then they may buy. I mean, they have a little bit of gap space. I don't think they have a lot of holes, to be honest with you, but they may buy somebody in that bottom six uh, you know, to to go on another run. So absolutely agree on, on those calls.
0: Well, the reason why I was highlighting for Hagee, just because this does represent a bit of a, a change from him over the past couple of years, right? Because I think frustratingly so, they were very reluctant to put him on that power play one. And part of it was they right. wanted Ekblad out there as kind of a, another shooter and to maintain some of that one-time option. But Verhegi, like part of the reason why you want to prioritize having one timers at both circles is because we know that if the goalie has a chance to set, it kind of negates the purpose of the cross ice pass, right? A pass through the slot that every team's trying to execute. Unless it's a one timer, you sort of the goalie can can recover in time and then it's not as dangerous. But the thing is, Verhegi's wrist shot is just so violent and so lethal. And you see what he uncorks yeah. it that he can actually beat goalies cleanly, even if they have time to get set for it, just because he can pick a spot under the bar and beat you that way anyways. And so now the fact they're using him that way, where he's averaging over three power play minutes per game this season, and he was out of like one or, or two last year. Um, that is a bit of a change, right? So, I think a lot of goals are coming his way. I think he's gonna wind up with forty plus again this season. And so yeah, I just wanna get as many pieces of uh, of that pie as I can and acknowledging that, you know, with Kachuk's hot streak and certainly with Reinhardt having 38 goals so far, like it's gonna to be <laughs> tough to get those guys. I think they're gonna be coveted pretty highly by members of your league, but Haggy might be someone that you can buy out of what his current owner views as a high price, but still might, might not be high enough because they don't realize like that. He's being used differently now compared to years past. So uh, I like that quite a bit. Okay. Who's next on your list?
1: Why Johnson of the Dallas stars? Nice. I'm a sucker for this guy. I, I really love his brand of hockey. And of course as a rookie he scored 24 goals and he was you know, hints and robertson stole the show throughout the playoffs last year for the stars, but if you looked at some of the 5 and 5 numbers, expected goals and and shot attempts, I mean, Wyatt johnson checked a lot of boxes as well and a very very slow start to the season. Uh, I viewed him as, you know, a breakout candidate, you know, heading into the year. How could you view as, you know, a second year player as a breakout candidate when he scored 24 goals? Was he going to score 30, 40? You know, I thought he had that ability to to get up to 30, but at the start of the season, you know, the the ice time wasn't really there. He's playing with ben who who has you know regressed a little bit this season? Had a good year last year, and ever since Pete DeBoer has made the the switch and, and moving Joe Pavelski off that line and putting him with Ben, putting him with Didanoff. And, and putting Wyatt Johnson with Rupe hints with Jason Robertson, of course, we've seen a spike in his game. Five goals and 10 points in his last 11, three-plus shots in seven of his last nine, You know, 17-plus minutes in eight straight games. There were times where he's 13, 14 minutes here and there. It's not going to get top power play time, and it's possible Pete DeBoer says, you know what, I'm going back to Pavelski on that top line. Uh, that's certainly a possibility, but... I'm living in the moment and I'm grabbing him wherever I can. And I'm riding this thing out and he just got right wing eligibility in Yahoo, which is a plus because, you know, there's a lot of centers out there. And, you know, that was the pushback that I had talking him up over the past couple of weeks is I just don't know what center to drop. It's, It's really tough for me to find a place in my lineup for him. But now having that right wing eligibility makes it a little bit more flexible for him. So Dallas is another team I feel like. With Like Florida, I view them very similar. Maybe not as much firepower, but I like what they have to offer. That second line with Duchesne and Sagan and Marchman have been so consistent all year long. And all three of those guys, maybe apart from Duchesne, are hanging around the waiver wire at the moment. I will be buying every Dallas star I can here in the second half.
0: Yeah, I'm contractually obligated to mix in some stars talk in every one of my shows, so I'm glad <laughs> that you beat me to the punch Perfect. so that I don't so I can beat the allegations of being a uh, a Dallas Stars homer. But yeah, I mean, Wyatt Johnson is certainly a favorite of mine, and and the good thing is that it's not like it's entirely role dependent either, as you mentioned. Like we've seen him be productive in other usages as well, so it's not obviously as ideal as his current setup. But even if he you know, even they went back to that previous formation with Pavelski on the top line, I still think Johnston can be very productive as he's shown, even with that in mind. But yeah, right now it's interesting because the underlying numbers are absolutely off the charts. Like with that line of hints, Robertson and Johnston, I'll give you the uh the natural statric metric. So they played 105 on five minutes together, shots on goal, 78 to 25, high danger chances, <laughs> 35 to seven, and goals are nine to one. I mean, these are like elite power play numbers and this is what they're doing at five on five they've been together and johnston himself hasn't necessarily benefited from it from a points perspective but you can certainly see it from a a shot generation perspective right where i know something you love to see is he's had the three or more shots on goal in seven of his past nine games and a lot of his shots come from very high danger areas as well he's that type of player so I love the fit between him and those guys on that line. They've certainly looked the part when you watch them. This isn't a, a thing where, all right, I don't know how they're getting getting these numbers. Like It certainly passes the eye test as well. And so I think sky's the limit for him personally. Sky's the limit for that line. And I think he's going to produce a lot more. So yeah, I think this is a good buying opportunity while you still can before the actual counting stats kind of start to to match up with those underlying metrics.
1: Yeah, you mentioned the shots and, and the props, I mean, plus money to pick up a point throughout this run basically every every night, right? I don't know if Vegas has really caught on to the the boost in ice time and, and the adjustment to his line mates. And, and like you said, yeah, if, if Pete DeBoer decides that he wants to put Pavelski back up there because that trio has worked perfectly for the past couple of years as well, uh, that could happen. And, you know, I, I just think that this is a really good fit for a young player that doesn't look out of place playing with those two guys, so he could stick.
0: Well, and, and uh, you know, given his age and contract status as well, like we'll see. I think if Pavelski does stick around, and he certainly is playing well enough to stay around in the NHL for as long as he wants at this point. Like Absolutely. he will be on the Dallas Stars, but Wyatt Johnson's clearly the future. And I think that while the Stars are managing their status as cup contender right now, they also generally, as an organization, take a bit of a longer term view with this sort of stuff. And I think they realize that whether it's the rest of this year or next year or the one after that, this probably will be their the trio up front that's carrying the mail for them, and so it makes sense that they're giving it a, a time for experimentation and growth together right now. And I think the way they've looked, I see no reason why they would want to split that up anytime soon. So uh, get aboard the uh, the Wyatt Johnson Express while you still can. All right, let's give you um next one on my list is is a bit more of a, a somber one. It's a player that I love just as much, but. The reason why I'm bringing him up is, is for negative reasons. And we got this question from the PDOcast Discord. It's from ATS05 that says, Nick Ehlers has been exiled to the two few minutes second line on the Jets, and there's no indication the Rick bonus will change his ways. The team's spirit totem in saxophone Squirtle has sadly departed the realm to join the Flyers' locker room. Is it time to drop Ehlers for Pia Suter if Suter's available in your league? Now, this question was from February 1st, and since then, Uh, Pugh Suter lost his spot on the top power play playing the net front for the Canucks after they acquired Elias Lindholm, of course, and we've seen after Lindholm's couple power play goals in his Canucks debut, that's a very valuable role. But I I wanted to bring up this question because we actually saw the Jets play the Flyers last night, and it was a game where the Jets trailed for, I believe, like 56 minutes or so. They went down in the first couple minutes. They were down by three uh, towards the end of the first period. And despite the fact that they were playing from behind and trailing all game long, Nikolai Ehlers ended the game playing 14-16, which was less than Mason Appleton. Now, that's egregious in any game, in my opinion, but in one where you're specifically trying to score goals to get back into it, it's just simply inexcusable. And, and I think, sadly, it's far from the first or likely the last time that's going to happen. So we're kind of back to square one here, and it's very frustrating. I feel like I'm going crazy talking about this because... It's a topic that's been brought up way too often on the show over the past couple of years. And we just went through this 20 game or so stretch where McCly Ehlers was fully unleashed on the top line and was producing exactly the way we'd expect. And the team was winning and now they get healthy and they essentially just go back to all the bad habits they had previously and we're back to where we started.
1: I don't get it. I am I'm, I'm I think 100%, like 99%, we talked about Ehlers last year. Uh, at this point of the season, we wondered what was going on. Why? Why was he averaging 15 minutes per game, which was a career low for him, and now at 16? And I was telling people to buy. I saw the spike that you alluded to, the opportunity up on that top line. And ever since, you know, I mean, Kyle, Kyle Connor missed a little bit of time, so that was, I think, part of it. And then Connor back, Shifley back, Velarde back. These guys on the line last night. Um, I was really taking a look at Ehlers and and Monahan. And uh, maybe that they could create something that that would be a boost for maybe Nikolai Ehlers. You know, he's not on the first power play. So I understand this question totally. Uh, I would like to say, hold on. I would like to, because a lot of these guys, Ehlers, Velarde, Monaghan, they're all getting dropped. Uh, Perfetti has been, you know, hung onto in, in deep leagues. And people of course are patient with Mark Shifley when he missed some time and Kyle Connor through a slump that he had, you know, since he's returned to the lineup and score last night. Um, I don't know if this offense, if, if it is going to turn around, because it, I would say if he was getting the ice time and he was getting the minutes and the opportunity, I'd say, yeah, okay. Like this is a buy hang on to him in the second half. The jets can figure this thing out offensively, but they're, they're not scoring a lot of goals. Uh, their goals are, are not coming from, you know, they're, they're other, other than Connor, there's been really no consistency up and down their lineup, even though they are winning games. I think thanks to hella So I don't know if I would drop him for pew Suter. Suter is on my list. <laughs> Because, you know, playing with JT Miller and Brock Besser, why wouldn't he? And he was on that power play, as you alluded to as well, before the Lindholm edition, and he picked up a couple power play goals in, in his De- Canucks debut. I Again, live in the moment. I ty- I typically like to do these things. I like to leave one or two spots open in my fantasy hockey leagues to stream, you know, players that are playing four games and take advantage of some matchups. And Ehlers is a guy that, you know, I think you could cut loose, man. And it's not about the talent. It's just about the situation at the moment.
0: Yeah. Those are the toughest things, right? Because I almost I can't be expected to uh to think or talk rationally about this subject because my job primarily is a hockey analyst and so just evaluating like the talent level and his impact in the game, it's all there. And so nothing's right. changed in that regard. So for me, I hate giving up on a player like that that's just entirely role dependent uh for this, but fantasy especially for some of these fringe contributors right it's you keeping those spots open for for rotations and for streamers is important depending on schedule or hot streaks or whatever and so I get it if you're frustrated and you're sick of seeing a stat line of like 15 minutes two shots on goal and zero points I'm I get it so I I, I have a tough time being upset about that but man like we just saw that 21 game stretch I have here from November 30th to January 15th now that coincided with Velarde being out at the start of that and then Connor for a good chunk of that after that. But they were using Ehlers in that featured top-line role. He had 18 515 points in that time, which was behind only Nathan McKinnon. He was top 10 in attempts and shots on goal on a permanent basis. And the Jets were up 22-5 with him on the ice at 515 in that time, and they went 16-3-2, right? So this isn't like
1: Man, it advanced makes no stats. Sense.
0: This is goals and wins. And I just don't understand how you look at that and the, the way they played and revert back to these previous habits. And given Rick Bonus's track record as a coach and the way this organization has viewed Ehlers as a whole, it's tough and there's no real reason to expect that to change. But man, it's just, it's really tough to, it's almost, it's tough to justify, right? Because you just think about it logically as well. And it's like, all right, Ehlers, Shifley, and Velarde, stylistically, they make so much sense together. And then you have this second line, you acquire Sean Monaghan, You have Kyle Connor, you have Cole Perfetti, who's really good at kind of creating space and making life easier for others. Use that as a sheltered scoring line. Those three guys make so much sense together. And then just use Niederreiter, Lowry, Appleton, Iafalo, whoever, in more of like a checking bottom six role. And instead, they're relying on that third line way too much, and they're just taking away from the second line. And then they're forcing Kyle Connor on the first line because of his track record as a goal scorer and his partnership with Shifley. And so none of it's working. And maybe the fact that, you know, they're really struggling to score goals. I think they've scored 10 goals as a team uh, in these seven games since demoting Ealers. You'd like to think that they would look at that and be like, all right, something has to change. Maybe let's go back to what was working previously. And Ealers is good enough that I would believe that he would succeed once again in that role. So maybe that's the argument for riding this out and giving it a bit more time. But given the track record, it probably won't happen the way we want to. So I get it if you want to just pull the cord and move on.
1: Yeah, maybe it's uh, you know if you're in a comfortable spot and, and you know in fantasy hockey or in the middle of the pack, potentially you could maybe afford to wait another week or two because you do bring up a good point. Like this team has not been scoring goals, going through that stretch of three or fewer, and it was you know it's not like they were blowing teams away; they were just getting really good goaltending uh, from Connor Hellebuck. So it, it's it's possible maybe Monahan can be the difference. I mean, I really like Monahan too as a player that I've I've had in deeper formats. I mean, he traded in. Basically, Yola Armia and Josh Anderson here for a couple different wingers. It's it's also possible, like you said, maybe Ealers. I don't know if he's ever going to get that top power play time. I mean, hand had that role in Montreal in the bumper spot pretty well, and I think Winnipeg, you know, maybe likes that addition and and he could help them out in, in the face off circle and and on the power play in certain situations. Uh, but I don't. I, I still feel like there's still a possibility where Ehlers could maybe jump up on that first line or potentially stick on the second, but he's definitely available. I'll say that he's he, you know, if you, it's a risk. The ceiling is there, but it's, it's a couple years now of this it, inside the same game. Maybe let's talk about the flyers a little bit, man. How impressive are they? Holy man. They're five and five numbers. They don't, they would shoot teams. Most nights, um, the last, before last night, they were in the top five in terms of, eliminating the fewest shots at five and five uh, per 60. And one guy, you mentioned five and five numbers that I wanted to bring up with you. And he's just been, I don't know. I think a lot of fantasy hockey people live in the moment. It's like if they don't get a point or two for a game, that's it. They're done with them. They drop them. Mm -hmm. I was surprised to see Yulferi getting dropped in, in Yahoo leagues. 17 goals, 41 points in 52 games. If you look at the five and five point leaders this season, he's tied for the third most. McKinnon's got 45. Kucherov has 40. McDavid, Pasternak, and Ferbey have 34. Yeah, and this is not company. like a shooting percentage thing, right? It's uh it is pretty good company. And it's not like he's piling up a lot of these points in the power play. The, the flyers' power play is, is not great. He doesn't have a high shooting percentage. Only Barzell has more primary assists than than Ferbey's 16. Barzell has 19. Uh, This team is just playing a really good brand of 5 and 5 hockey. Man, Tortorella has them playing every single night. Owen Tippett, I would be buying Owen Tippett where I can. I'd be buying O'Farabi where I can. And the lines are different from here and there. You know, I feel like whoever plays with Konechny and Couture kind of, you know, get the offense going, but Couturella has also still shown this year that. The offense may not still be there with him, but defensively, you know, he can shut down a guy uh, and it does leave some pretty good opportunities. Maybe the second line for for Farabee. So uh, tip it. 256 shot attempts at five and five is the sixth most uh, in the NHL. He's got six goals and nine points in his last nine games. So you may not view the Flyers as like a, a team to target, but their top six pretty decent. They generate a lot of uh, shot attempts and chances, at least.
0: Well, the second part of that question from the listener, they noted the saxophone squirtle. and I did want to bring that up because the Jets were the original adopters of it and really brought it uh, into the mainstream in the hockey world. But since then, Scott Lawton has been forcing his Flyers teammates to listen to it for hours on end uh, in the training room and in all sorts of other situations at the facility. And listen, these two teams played last night. The Flyers just definitively trounced them. And so yeah. according to a uh, to friend of the podcast, Charlie O'Connor, after the game, they were uh, triumphantly playing in the locker room as the victory song. And I think they won the rights to it fair and square. So I think that's a really good point. I wanted to note that because on a vibes perspective, it's very important, but from the Flyers, I've been talking about them a lot on this show. And I think that the type of high volume, fantasy friendly approach that they've taken to attacking off the rush the way they have, and we've documented a lot on this show is really important. And I don't think a lot of this production from some of these young players, or not even young players, but players who are like firmly in their prime, like a lot of these guys are in that sort of 23 to 26-year-old range, it's not accidental that they're all sort of thriving and benefiting from it, right? And so I wouldn't expect the power play production to improve that much because I do think they have real issues from a finishing perspective and from like a high-level game-breaking talent perspective that they still need to address as an organization. But five-on-five, man. They play such a fun style, and you're not going to be able to get Konechny at this point. The ship's probably even sailed on Owen Tippett, I think, although he did miss some time with injury, but he'd been playing so well previously and has really stepped back into that since returning. But you're you're right, Farabee, uh, unbelievable 5-1 production. I'll even highlight like a Morgan Frost, who is more of a playmaker, certainly, and you're not going to get the shot volume from him necessarily, but he's got so much skill. And as a playmaker, especially now... I think they're using Frost, Centering, Ferabee, and Connecting most recently, actually. And so that's a really fun line that can produce a lot. So yeah, I want pieces of that because they're going to play a very up-tempo style. They're going to get a lot of scoring chances. And so the goals might not necessarily come all the time, but at least you're going to be in a position where they have an opportunity to, to create those chances and the goals will eventually come at least to some degree. So yeah, I'm in on all those guys and... Pretty much any combination of that top six, uh, including Sean Couturier as well. There, like it's a fun team with a lot of cool players. And so uh sign me up for all that. Um all right, Chris, let's uh let's take a break here and then when we come back we'll uh we'll keep rattling through some names and finish off our list. You are listening to the hockey PDOcast cast streaming on the Sports Night Radio Network. All right, we're back here on the Hockey cast joined by Chris Beanie as we try to help you with your fantasy leagues. And hopefully, uh, even if you don't partake in fantasy or uh, daily, you know, prop bets or anything, you can still find some value in this as we talk about situations, changing situations at that at once to uh, to keep an eye on. All right, I think it's my turn because uh, you just did the flyers as you pivoted from, from Nick Ehlers there, and they were certainly on my list, but I'll hook you up with a new one. So I don't think the words New York Islanders and fantasy friendly have been uh, shared in the same sentence since maybe that one magical Doug Waite season once upon a time when uh, they seemingly were giving up all of the goals for and against in that one year when uh, when I think it was Matt Barzell's rookie year when they still had John Tavares. Um, But since we saw the coaching change where Patrick Waugh came in and took over from Lane Lambert, I've noticed a really important trend here in terms of concentration of both their ice time and their offense and how much of it has gone towards the top players and how they've benefited from it. And now I think Matt Barzal and Bo Horvat, the chemistry they've shown since they've gotten to play together hasn't necessarily been just a six game trend because they've been doing it all season. But now with Matt Barzell's ice time going up significantly and the fact that I think they've shown that in close games or games where they're trailing and pushing for offense. They're willing to just completely unleash their top players and play them into the high 20s for that given night. I think that's a really important development. And so I'm really buying. Like I I I know that like Dodd Dobson, for example, is amongst the point leaders and, and you're not necessarily gonna be able to get him. Uh Matt Barzell, still relative, I guess, to the top guys in the league, isn't necessarily viewed that way, even though he is over a point a game for the first time. It is scoring is just so up through the league that you can probably still get him, but him. Orbat, even Anders Lee on that line. Um, They're just using them so much and they're playing so well right now that I'm really intrigued by what they're doing there on the the island.
1: It's really nice to see. Um, And I'm surprised, again, I'll reference the most traded on CBS Sports. Number two on that list was Matthew Barzell. And I was going to bring him up if you weren't. I was going to say, I don't know who's trading this guy, why you would. I'd be completely buying wherever I can. And yeah, in the six games with Patrick wall behind the bench, not just productive, uh, but the ice time is the one thing that I've noticed as well. 23 minutes, 23, 26, 25, three goals and the six points in six games and shooting the puck. Uh, you had nine shots in one game. Uh, you know, through this run against the Habs, got 16 shots in his last four and horvat has been shooting consistently three plus here and there. It's, it's a duo. Like you said, the minute that they acquired Horvat, they were, they played together. Unfortunately, Barzell suffered that injury, you know, uh, I think maybe within a couple weeks of that addition last year, uh, but we really saw chemistry immediately between those two and we're seeing it right now. So it, it is really refreshing to see. And I'll say, I'll go as far as, you know, Brock Nelson's one of the most disrespected players, I think, in fantasy and, you know, Kyle Palmieri is is probably not a guy in, in a 10 or 12 team league, but in a deeper format, he's another guy getting an opportunity to play on the first power play. And there's a little bit of chemistry between him and uh, Nelson as well. So, but definitely in on Barzell and man, Noah Dobson is extremely impressive. He's been a top three fantasy hockey defenseman all year long. So I love that call by you. Yeah.
0: Barzell, um, since the coaching change up to 23.04, all situations, minutes, Horvath's up to 21-43 himself. And those two guys together, a 5-1-5, just to, to give you a some perspective, up 35-22, 57% of the shots, 56.5% of the expected goals. And you mentioned Matt Barzell shooting in particular there. It, it's been a, an impo- important trend, I guess, all season, right? Like He's clearly uh, put together a concerted effort to realizing that while he's always going to be more of a playmaker and passer, he needs to at least represent some level of shot threat to kind of open lanes up and keep opposing defenses honest. And so his own individual shot rate is up at a career high this season and significantly improved from where it was for the past couple of seasons. And not only is he shooting more, but he's shooting more like deliberately as well, right? It's, it's, he's looking for a shot. He's starting off sequences with it and then letting everything else come to him. And so it's not a surprise that he's on pace for, I think, 25 goals this year, which would represent a career high by quite a bit. And I really like them together. And as I mentioned, um, there were a few games there uh, at the start of Patrick Wilde's coaching tenure where... They were down, and they were pushing, and we saw Dobson get up to 30 minutes. Now I know that they had some injuries in the back end, and they're more healthy now, Uh, but we saw Barzal play 25, 26 minutes in a few of those, and they still have a lot of defensive issues. They still, I think, are going to be in a game environment where they are going to have to score more than Islanders teams we've become sort of accustomed to in the past, and so I love that. It's all kind of coming together if this is going to continue for fantasy's goodness, right? Where you're going to see their top players playing extreme amounts and they're playing really well. And so you put that all together and I just expect Barzal and Horvat in particular to, uh, to really carry this over and have an awesome end to the season.
1: One more note on on Dobson. You mentioned the ice time. It was the game against the Canadians where he had 30 minutes and 17 seconds. They had a five-minute major. It was the nasty hit from Brennan Gallagher. They were down by two goals. He didn't come off the ice in the full five minutes. He stayed on the ice for the entire uh, power play. No, it was a power play, so it wasn't super taxing on him, but you normally don't see that, Um, especially from a defenseman. It's rare to see a a defenseman stay on for the full five minutes, and it worked because they got the two goals and they they ended up tying the game. So, uh, yeah, Dobson... (laughs) It's just an unbelievable talent and you know, there's, there's certainly something going on there with the Islanders at the moment. So I like that I'll, I'll transition into, I, I think a team that's been pretty surprising in terms of oh, the Ottawa centers. I, mm-hmm. I thought we'd see more from the Ottawa centers this year, like at least from their offense, uh, no, uh, goaltending has been an issue again for them this year. Corporal has strung together a couple decent games lately The reason I'm bringing up the Senators because I think a lot of their players could be had. I, I, you know, maybe apart from Brady Kachuk, if you're in a bangers leagues with hits and shots, you're you're satisfied with what he's bringing to the table. But Tim Stutzla, uh, Tim Stutzla was a top pick. He he went end of first, early second in some leagues. And and most questions I get at FTN from a fantasy hockey standpoint is, what do I do with Tim Stutzla? Should I hang on to Josh Norris in deeper leagues? Vladimir Tarasenko worth my time? What? defensemen of shabbat and chikrin and sanderson is most valuable to me there's a lot of senators questions i think a lot of these players can be had for one they played the fewest games in the eastern conference only the oilers have played more than them so if you're looking ahead at games played you're looking ahead at week 22 week 23 week 24 the senators have a really good fantasy hockey schedule four game weeks there uh for stutzla himself it's not like it's a bad season. He's got 47 points in 47 games. Just he had 39 goals and 90 points last year. He does have 13 points in his last 10. So maybe the window to buy him uh, is closing as for Josh Norris. Injuries have really slowed him down over the past couple of years, but it, it does seem like he went seven games without a point. The second time he suffered an injury this year and he, and he came back, he was quiet, but recently there's points in four of his last seven Ottawa shuffles their lines. It feels like every night it's hard to get a feel of of which guy's going to play with who. And sometimes Norris is in the, on the first line. For the most part, it does seem like he has a top six role locked up. I just think these guys can be had. And as for the defensemen, love to get your thoughts too on which one you like the most. I mean, Shabbat doesn't seem to leave the ice. He's always on the ice and he's, he's getting a lot of counting stats. Sanderson's been shooting lately. I think Chickren has the highest offensive ceiling of the three, but he's also been pretty quiet too. So, Sanders uh, can be had. And let me get your thoughts on which one you like, which one you're buying, and maybe you're not into any of them.
0: No, I'm, I'm certainly into them. Uh, I think Sanderson got hurt before the break and then the team just kind of went away. And so I, I don't think much thought was given to it. And now they've sort of resumed practicing, getting ready to re, to return to action and he's still out. So that doesn't really bode well for um, his imminent health in terms of being available right now. So maybe that eases some of these questions a little bit, I guess. And I think this might be more of a, like I know that over the next couple of weeks, Jacob Chickren is going to be in a lot of trade talk again. And right. uh And so we'll see if anything comes of that. It might be more of an off-season thing. And so I think people who are particularly playing in like dynasty leagues, right? And kind of more uh, future-oriented are trying to figure out what to do with this more so than maybe um, in season ones right now. But yeah, it doesn't seem like long-term, especially if you have to give Chikran his next contract that having those three guys on the same team makes a ton of sense from uh, a resource allocation perspective. So something we'll have to give. I still think that I love Sanderson's upside at, at both ends, and I think that if you cleared some more room for him and just allowed him to fully embrace all of that, the sky's the limit in that regard. So I think from like a ceiling perspective, I would be most intrigued in him moving forward. Um, but yeah, you're right. For right now, like Shabat just eats up so much ice time and unless something changes, I don't think there's any reason to expect that to be any different. So yeah, they're, they're a really intriguing team to watch. I'm curious to see what they do with Tarasenko as well. Right. There's kind of been mixed reports on yeah. whether they're going to sell him or whether they want to keep him around because he's been a good presence for some of their young guys. They clearly want to make some sort of a change. So I do expect whether it's at the trade deadline or whether it's this off season, the team is going to look different in a meaningful way. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see on that. I've got, a next one for you. And I th- it's a player coming back from injury and it is Victor Arvidsson. So on the one hand, he is 31 in April and he's coming off of his second back surgery right now. And we haven't seen him yet this season. right? So I think we should temper expectations at least out of the gate in terms of what he's going to look like. But man, this Kings team desperately needs the prime version of Victor Arvidsson in terms of what he can provide from just an infusion of offense and, and creation that he's shown previously. And in particular, I think Pierre-Luc Dubois stands to benefit the most from it. Because if you look at the line mates he's played with, it's Alex Laferriere, Jared Allen, Anderson Dolan, Carl Grunstrom, Arthur Kaliev, and they've really let him down from a, a conversion and finishing perspective. And so if you're telling me that Arvidsson comes back and he's the player he, he was previously before injury, and he'll get to play with him... All of a sudden, I think that totally changes the calculus for everything. And maybe a lot of the disappointment that both uh, PLD individually and the Kings team have had recently is going to change just with that one little addition.
1: Yeah, I think not just that, but the coaching changes as well. I mean, the Kings are too good for the slump that they have 14 losses in a a 17 Game span and you know the offense dried up uh, across the board. Pierre Luc Dubois isn't a player that I was interested in heading into the season, just because I didn't feel like the usage rate was going to be there from him. And we've seen that the the downtick and ice time overall on the first unit with Winnipeg, not on the first unit, really from day one preseason. He wasn't even on the first unit, Uh, but he there was a a little bit of I thought chemistry with Arvidsson. I thought uh, maybe I'm wrong in the preseason, but he's. He has been one of the better five and five players in the NHL. Actually, like a sneaky good player, Arvidsson. That is mm-hmm. like loves to shoot the puck. He's great at five and five. It'll it will help out the second unit. I think a lot of these Kings are. I th- this is the time to buy, because of the slump that they had. The brand that they play at five and five is pretty good. Like they're usually uh, among leaders in shot attempts and shots. Um, most of them are high danger chances as well. Some nice little scoring chances for them. So I- I've noticed that Kempe has been getting dropped in leagues. So it- it- Adrian Kempe has been. Certainly could be had, I think. Quentin Byfield has had a sneaky good season as well. Five and five up on that top line for a majority of the season. And I, I like the call for for Arvidsson. He's hanging around fewer than 40% of, of fantasy leagues. And that could get Pierre Ball going. Um, right now, I wouldn't hold him. But I think if you're in a deeper format, maybe you get ahead of it. And you see maybe these two will, will have some chemistry together. Even Fiala. Like, Fiala hasn't been super consistent. He has more to offer as well as, as a player. So I, I think across the board, maybe the only guy I probably wouldn't buy is, is Anj Kopitar, and it's nothing against him. It just doesn't shoot the puck enough for me. But these other guys should be able to get some counting stats for you. And I think in the second half, this team turns it around. They're way too good uh, I mean, from what we've seen in the past couple
0: Here's a crazy Purely Duas stat for you. So he's played 605, and five five on five minutes this season. The Kings have scored 20 goals in that time. They're shooting under 6% as a team. And what's crazy about it is that he himself is actually shooting over 10% at 515, which is his best mark since 2020, which means that the Kings as a team have scored 13 goals with him on the ice that he hasn't scored himself. And they're shooting 4.5% in all of their shots on goal that he's not taking while he's out there. Wow! So that kind of tells you the story of when I say, like, I certainly think he's not blameless here. And like, I think his effort and attention to detail and all of that stuff is is warranted in terms of the criticism of it. And I think he needs to play better. But he's also been miscast, I think, as a player where because of his playing style and his work around the net, he's always been sort of thought of as kind of more of a finisher in that regard. Where I actually think if you look at his underlying profile the past couple of years, a lot of his success has come through like playmaking and creation for others, particularly a five on five. And he just hasn't been armed with the shooters and the talent around him to convert on that to any degree and that kind of number that i gave you there highlights that a little bit and so i think whether it's arvidsson or whether arvidsson's return means that we can see more fiala on his wing or they experiment with other combinations i think regardless dubois is going to get some reinforcements on his wing and i just think you have to bet on some regression so it might be something where you can still wait and capitalize on it as it starts happening later on because i think you know people have been just so disenchanted with him um but it's certainly yeah. something that I'm keeping an eye on because I think like a lot of the a lot of the underlying trends and just common sense and regression points to this team reverting back to form uh from what they had early in the season. Okay. Uh I think we got room for maybe one more each here, quick before we get out of here. Do you have any others that you think uh we gotta get to before we close out?
1: Yeah, I'll rapid fire through a couple. I just think that um with Jack Hughes back. Tyler Toffoli is an interesting buy. I know owners have been frustrated with him. They created some offense last night. I know it didn't show up in the box score, but uh, Toffoli had uh, several scoring chances, and Hughes back in that lineup. The, for the most part, they played together at five 5-5 and five and on the power play all year. So I think there's some devils apart from Timo Meyer. I don't know. Uh, from really sold on on his production and his, you know, just his role on the Devils, but I think sure and Brad and as, as many Devils as you can buy here in the second half of the season. I did see a trade come down in one of my leagues. Uh, Igor Sharangovich and Troy Terry were flipped. Uh, the owners were selling high on both. I would like to hang on to Troy Terry if he could. Uh, he's on uh, definitely on a heater at the moment. Igor Sharangovich, uh, you know, an 18% shooting rate, just lost Lindholm. Power plays a bottom five, bottom six power play in the NHL. Maybe an opportunity to sell and the player that was traded the other way was John Tavares. I thought that was a, a nice buy on Tavares. He had gone pointless in nine straight. Now he's got goals in three straight. Six over that span. Uh, it Looks like uh, you know the, the shot attempts have been there for him all year. Eight point three percent shooting rate, career low. First time below ten. You're gonna go back to 2016 with the Islanders when he had that low of a shooting rate and and just 15 goals in the season. 36 last year. So it's still a high powered Leafs offense. You know it's hard to pull Leaf players away. Uh, you know with the the core, the big four, but. Out of the four, Tavares is the one of the four that I think certainly could be had uh, in fantasy. So those are some guys. And then I noticed, I wanted to throw out Melkin quickly. Um, I would be in on shipping Melkin. He was in the top five in terms of traded. Penguins power play. I don't know why it's so bad. They can't figure it out. He lost a spot in the top power play. Malkin doesn't seem to have great wingers at the moment who knows is Gensel traded is Pittsburgh actually gonna move on from him we could see some massive changes maybe Dubas decides no I'm going all in even more uh and get some wingers for Evgeny Malkin so it's another guy that I would be into moving him but I could see him also at the same time being a buy low uh candidate and I would only do it if you're at the top of your near the top of your standings in fantasy
0: yeah uh I'll give you one more on my list, and it's a player I think you and I have actually spoken about in the past last year when we did our show, and it's kind of along the same lines of injury return, but Barrett Hayden came back to the Coyotes lineup last night, and he had been out of action since November 16th. Now, they're using him out of the gate, kind of slowing him back, uh, easing him back into the lineup, right? I think they're playing him on this kid line with Logan Cooley and Dylan Gunther, which is interesting, but their usage was pretty low. They've been using Jack McBain to center that Keller-Schmaltz combo up top, and I wouldn't say he's done anything in the meantime to solidify his role there. And I think if anything, since Hayden's been out, the Coyotes have really missed him because they tried various combinations and just didn't have the center option to fit between those guys. But we know how productive and electric Keller and Schmaltz are going to be together. We've seen Hayden really contribute to that line because he has that individual skill set that those two don't have in terms of crashing the net and kind of living in the middle of the ice. And so he can help them as a finisher. And even before he got hurt, he was a good regression candidate, right? I think he only had two goals on his first like 35 shots before he got hurt. And so we've seen him succeed there in the past, uh, towards down the stretch last year. I think the opening is there for him. I think it's only a matter of time before he plays there. And I think he's a pretty good player in his own right. And so um, he's probably someone who really just slipped off everyone's radar because he was out for that long and he wasn't even productive previously. But I think he could be in for a really nice second half.
1: I hung on to him in a couple spots all year, waiting for this moment from come back. I know he had to step back, but yeah, they've tried just about everybody uh, on that top line in Arizona to try to center Schmaltz and Clayton Keller. They even had Clayton Keller playing center, I think, for a game or two and Schmaltz in the middle of the ice. Uh, Hayton in March last year, 17 points, eight goals and 16 games. And he averaged 20 minutes per game. That's when he really broke out in the second half of last season. And I even held him in the first 15 or 16 games or so, not finding the back of the net. It took him a little bit to finally get his first goal, but the attempts were there. What I was watching Arizona, it was not like, you know, he wasn't getting any chances. He was getting opportunities. He was getting chances. He was still on that first power play throughout the big slump as well. So yeah, definitely a guy that, uh, could be had for sure. All right, Chris. Well,
0: this is a blast. I'm glad we got to do this. Hopefully we helped people with uh, with some decisions or some players to target or just these situations to watch moving forward. I'll let you plug some stuff here on the way out. And maybe if you want to give us, I think uh, most people will listen to this either on Friday or Saturday, uh, your favorite prop bet for Sunday, if you've got one for uh, for people that are going to be watching the Super Bowl and want to get involved.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, we have a hockey show twice a week and on Tuesdays and Thursdays with Eric Young, uh, 10 Eastern. Uh, just rolling through the the slate that day, talking some fantasy hockey, answering some questions. You know, sneak in a prop bet or two and a side bet or two. Uh, mean streets three times a week. It's a multi-sport show. We'll be switching gears from football to MLB as we creep closer to MLB we also have a show on Sirius XM fantasy sports radio channel 87 on Saturday mornings uh, talking all things sports and yeah as for the Super Bowl this week I, I like running backs on both sides I, I like Isaiah Pacheco uh, over his rushing yards uh, it's at 66 and a half I do believe his rushing attempt props at 14 and a half he's had 15 plus rushing attempts in 12 of his last 15 games and you know, he's averaging 21 rushing attempts per game here in the three games in the playoffs. He scored a touchdown in each one of those three. And uh, it's a, it's a different vibe in Kansas city. We're used to seeing the offense being fantastic this year. It's the defense this has been really, really good. And they're leaned on the ground, on the ground game here over the past uh, six or seven weeks. And uh, the Niners have 182 rushing yards allowed to the lions in the, in the NFC championship game. And Aaron Jones had over a hundred in the wildcard game. So I think a pretty decent spot on the other side on the way out CMC. I mean, You can't stop this guy (laughs) not breaking any news. Christian McCaffrey, I mean, 90 plus rushing yards. I think in seven of his last eight games, his rushing yard props at 89 and a half. And the Chiefs are among the leaders in yards allowed per carry and rushing yards allowed rush DVOA. Uh, So I think we're going to see a heavy dosage of Christian McCaffrey this week in the Super Bowl. So look for both running backs to have solid days.
0: Oh, look at that we saved the best stuff for last you know I don't know if you've seen this but uh <laughs> I highly recommend seeking it out if you have it our, our good pal uh Pete Blackburn was there on Media Row in Vegas and he was trying to uh he he was trying to convince Isaiah Pacheco, that uh that he's the comp to nathan mckinnon i guess because they both just run and skate so violently and it's just <laughs> hilarious Where he's like who's nathan mckinnon <laughs> and then Pete explains that's, it to him and he's that's like that's amazing and he was like oh <laughs> so uh maybe we converted a new fan there but uh good stuff Enjoy the Super Bowl, Chris. Uh, this was great. We'll have you on again, I'm sure. And uh, thank you to everyone for listening. Hope everyone has a great weekend. Hope you enjoy the Super Bowl on Sunday. And uh, I'll see you next week with a whole new set of episodes of the Hockey Cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.